Welcome to the Wittenberg Hour. Martin Luther said, Among all the works or gifts of God, the most outstanding is the faculty of speech. For by this activity alone, man is set apart from all animals. Some excel man by their sense of sight, some by their sense of smell, some by their sense of touch, etc. But all lack the faculty of speech. Therefore, this fact is itself a proof that the word is of a most exalted nature. Hello and welcome to the Wittenberg Hour, where we explore big questions and discuss that which endures by means of that which has endured that scholars may endure. My name is Jocelyn Benson, and I serve as head teacher of Wittenberg Academy. How does language learning fit into a classical education? What's the practical value of learning another language? What other sorts of benefits come out of language learning? Joining us today to discuss language learning is Mrs. Holly James. Mrs. James teaches Paideia A and 3 for Wittenberg Academy and lives with her husband in Jerusalem, where they both study languages. Holly, thank you for joining us today. Thanks for having me. It's great to be on the show. Before we jump in with our discussion, give us a bit of background in terms of your language learning journey. I assume you started with English? Yes, that's correct. <laughs> okay. So so you started with English, uh, like most of us, uh, not all of us, but like most of us. Uh, where did you go from there and what fascinates you about languages? Yeah, well, well, I picked up English pretty quickly as a young child. I actually had a rather slow start to foreign language learning. It wasn't until high school that I really started to learn a second language. My tiny little public high school had a foreign language graduation requirement, and the one French teacher had just retired, so the only language actually offered at this school was Spanish, and every student had to take at least a few semesters of Spanish. But I found I really enjoyed my Spanish classes. You know, I could pick up the vocabulary pretty quickly, and I understood the basic grammar. It was just a lot of fun. Uh, so I went beyond the minimum requirement and took all the Spanish classes that I could. Once I got to college, I took a few years off of my language studies. Uh, I took kind of a detour more into the realm of like chemistry and biology, took a lot of physics courses too. Um, and I was kind of missing out on the, the language learning. I was taking an organic chemistry course one semester and just really struggling. And I couldn't reconcile all of the different chemical reactions and interactions in my head. They just weren't making sense. I couldn't picture how things were supposed to work. So I stopped by my professor's office hours one day to see if I could get some help. And we chatted for a while. And then this professor started to explain the concepts of organic chemistry in terms of language. So different atoms and molecules were like different parts of speech and different reactions, different types of reactions were different types of sentences. And it was a pivotal moment for me in my academic endeavors. I, I did manage to survive two semesters of organic chemistry, but I think more importantly, I realized that I wanted to get back into actually studying languages then. So I thought about returning to Spanish in college, uh, but I had a lot of friends who were studying Greek and Latin instead. There's 
languages weren't available to me when I was in high school. So I was intrigued. And my friends really encouraged me to delve into these classical languages. I ended up taking several Greek courses throughout my time in college. It was a little different uh, of a method for these classes. They were taught in a spoken style. So I was learning to speak ancient Greek, which is a little unusual. Uh, But spoken Greek is actually what brought John, my husband, and me to Jerusalem. John studies Greek now in a spoken style here, as well as biblical Hebrew. I study modern Hebrew, which is pretty closely related to biblical Hebrew. And then I also take two different types of Arabic, uh, two different courses in Arabic. One is a formal, um, it's the, the written form of the language that people call modern standard Arabic or MSA. And then I also take a Levantine dialect of what people speak around here in Jerusalem. So you can see I had a kind of a slow start to getting into languages and some bumps along the way, but I, I always just keep coming back for more. They're probably because there are lots of things I find fascinating about languages. I don't really want to turn this into like a Holly James's top 10 favorite things about language list or anything. <laughs> That's fantastic. <laughs> but um, yeah, but one of my uh, favorite parts of studying a language, I guess, would be I, I like the feeling of learning how to read again. That might sound kind of strange, but there's just something really satisfying about those moments when you're looking at the language written out on a page and it and it transitions from being just a bunch of squiggles and nonsense into it actually takes shape into words and yeah, learning how to read again. There's just a, a small victory in that. <laughs> For sure. Absolutely. I hadn't a thought of language learning in that way. We had French and German and Spanish at, at my high school. I went to a rather large high school mm-hmm. and I went with Spanish one semester. I had Spanish class right before I went to English class and the classrooms were literally across the hall from each other. <laughs> and so I would go to English class still thinking in Spanish. Yes. If, if it makes sense. It does. Yes. <laughs> I thought that was, I thought that was really cool how a different language literally made you think differently about words. And mm-hmm. I've, I've always loved words. I, I was that kid who would just pick up a dictionary and read because, because, I, <laughs> because I just, I loved learning new words and seeing the, the etymology of the words. You know, if you, if you get an old dictionary, mm-hmm. it actually shows you from where the words come. So I wasn't exposed to beyond Spanish really until about 10 years ago. Mm-hmm. And now my own children are learning Latin. And ah. so I'm doing my very best uh, to learn <laughs> along with them. But Definitely. but all, already they are, they are far ahead of me. Languages are just fantastic. And I'm so excited for our discussion today uh, regarding the the value and the the virtue of of learning languages. Yes, definitely. So Wittenberg Academy is a classical Lutheran school, and as such, as one familiar with the classical model of of teaching and learning, 
learning languages in addition to our mother tongue of English is required. At Wittenberg Academy, we place special emphasis on the languages particular to our confession. We only offer Latin, German, Greek, and Hebrew. So in general, because Wittenberg Academy is certainly not alone in having an emphasis on language learning, let's talk about how language learning fits into a classical liberal arts education. Certainly. Well, as, as you know, and as many of our listeners probably already know too, there are seven liberal arts, and these seven liberal arts are divided into two categories. We have the three arts of language, which we call the trivium, so grammar, logic, and rhetoric. And then there are four arts of mathematics, the quadrivium, arithmetic, music, geometry, and astronomy. And while these seven arts are subjects unto themselves and in their own rights, we teach, you know, like we're teaching explicit classes on grammar. We teach logic courses. Scholars of all ages learn arithmetic, music. But we, we use the same vocabulary of the trivium and the quadrivium to understand how learning itself works. So it's both a formula or a model, as well as an example of the model. <laughs> and I'll, I'll try to explain that a bit more clearly, looking just at the, the trivium, the three arts of language. And we can really hone in and take a look at English then. Young children of English speakers spend a lot of their early years just hearing English all around them, and they can pick up a lot of the vocabulary on their own, but it's you know not always 100% correct when they're speaking, which is why we teach explicitly English grammar in schools. We look at the parts of speech, and we practice speaking and writing correctly. Uh, during this English grammar instruction, a scholar will start to grasp how words work, how to order them, to make grammatically sound sentences. And then we see this natural progression where scholars will start to think about the whys behind grammar. Why does a sentence need a subject and a verb? Why do the subject and verb need to agree? Things like this. And uh, right. yeah, so it's at, at this point where scholars entering like the logic stage. And so the scholar knows the rules and is starting to think things through and kind of extrapolate they're flexing their logic muscles. <laughs> and uh, <Right. laughs> and uh, even though they have this knowledge of English grammar, while they're in the logic stage, they aren't necessarily articulating their thoughts clearly or eloquently. This is the third stage then, the art of rhetoric. And it takes practice. It's where the logic and the grammar come together and sort of really shine then. And this series of events, this grammar, logic, and rhetoric, the trivium, also happens in math, something that we could pull from the quad, you know, it's a subject of its own right in the quadrivium. Well, it too has these three language arts to it. And, you know, we have the basic math facts. We learn about addition and subtraction and what makes a grammatically correct equation in math, if you will, need to have an equal sign if it's going to be an equation. And then this turns into the logic stage where scholars can solve more complex problems. They learn how to rearrange these equations to solve for other components. You can solve for X 
and you can see how different parts of a function when it's written out contribute to its location on a graph, things like this. And then in the rhetoric stage of math, we can see this come out, come to play in like a laboratory setting when you're running an experiment or if you're building something and you need to actually apply the logic and the grammar of your math to, to make something of your own. And uh, <laughs> so all that is to say, hopefully this kind of illustrates how the arts of language are the foundation and the framework for all learning, not just for learning languages. We can apply this to music. I mentioned it earlier with uh, organic chemistry and how my professor was putting it into terms of language and also for, you know, things that are seemingly closer to language like literature. On a philosophical level, it follows then that classical schools would want to emphasize learning a second language because it's another opportunity to experience the process of the trivium again in an explicit sort of way, looking at the grammar of, say, Latin, applying your, your Latin grammar in a logical way, and then eventually you can compose things in Latin. And then I guess on top of all of this, there are so many texts within the Western tradition that are written in Hebrew and Greek and Latin and German that we want to give scholars the tools to access these great books in the languages they're written in uh, so they can join in this ongoing conversation and having exposure to these languages lets them interact with the texts without sort of like a veil between them, the veil of translation. <laughs> right, absolutely. And that in and of itself, in order to translate, you really have to have a command of the grammar, logic, and rhetoric of language because translation involves choice, right? Yes. Mm -hmm. that interacting with the language and because sometimes and and you know this probably better than either of us <laughs> that <laughs> that when you are working with with languages sometimes one of the languages with which you are working doesn't have a direct word that easily translates from one to the other and so you have to work within the nuance of languages to find a good fit to a certain extent. Exactly. Yes. Yes. And, uh, just the other day in my one of my Arabic classes, my teacher was trying to explain an idiom that they have in Arabic. And we have something that means a very similar thing. Like in English, we have the phrase like, don't make a mountain out of a molehill. Right. Um, well, they don't have molehills really around sure. here and so <laughs> um, but they do have a lot of like grains and things so their their idiom for that is don't make a dome out of a grain <laughs> so it means the same thing but if you were to try to translate a text that has that phrase would you you know it brings up the question oh do i substitute our own idiom for that do i sure translate it directly and put a footnote <laughs> Right, right. Yeah. Because our default would not be to imagine 
you know, this is this is where the the rhetoric of language, you know, and and being able to form images with words is so important and idiom certainly illustrates that right yes pun <laughs> pun either intended or not intended <laughs> there <laughs> so so we have discussed primarily classical and ancient languages especially in the context of a classical education and particularly a classical Lutheran education, and certainly on a broad level, right? We're kind of at the 50,000 foot view. We kind of swooped down a couple of times as you brought to to our attention some fantastic examples. Thank you for that. But we, we've been kind of on a broad level. So dialing in a little more closely, especially thinking of folks who are coming at things more pragmatically, right? We all know people who who tend toward the pragmatic. So looking at things more pragmatically, what is the practical value of learning another language, even if it is not widely spoken? In other words, how do we address that ever famous question, <laughs> when will I ever use this? Oh, dear. Yes. <laughs> as, a, <laughs> as a teacher, I experience a strange mixture of, I don't know, maybe frustration and excitement when I get this question. Do you, do you feel sure. that too? Yeah. Yes. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Yes. It's like the, the frustration is almost maybe a defense mechanism, like, Right. I, I right. teach you these things because they're good. Don't you know that this is good for you? Eat your vegetables. Like <laughs> Right, right, right. Um, but I guess the excitement comes in because it's a, a good opportunity to talk about learning and education and, and why these things are good. I guess when scholars seem a little resistant to learning the liberal arts or learning in a classical way you know, for the sake of being well-educated and free, then yeah, we could really dial in, as you say, and focus on the, the practical side to learning languages. I guess I'll just mention a couple of things, but please feel free to, to jump in. I guess we could say at the very least, learning something like Latin or Greek can teach people to recognize roots and prefixes and suffixes in the English language and can understand where words come from and what they mean. Uh, so it, it, And then it can also bolster like the uh, grammatical concepts in English. So it, at a minimum, learning something like Latin or Greek reinforces English. <laughs> you know, that brings to mind when we first started Wittenberg Academy and I was traveling all over the place just trying to get the word out. Mm -hmm. I happened to be at an LWML convention. And so, as is usually the case at LWML conventions, there were a lot of ladies there of various ages and all of them wearing purple. It was wonderful because <laughs> purple is my favorite color. So um, <laughs> that was a side bonus. But one seasoned saint, as as I like to <laughs> refer to them, uh, one seasoned saint came up to me and, and she grabbed my arm. And, and I'm not that tall, but she was shorter than I am. And so she was probably five foot, maybe. <laughs> And, and she grabbed my arm and she got really close and she said, because I, I had some things up there about, about Wittenberg Academy, you know, we teach Latin and, you know, various and sundry things. She came up to me and, and she said, 
I was an English teacher for 35 years and I learned more about English by learning Latin than I did in any of my language classes. <laughs> and, and I thought that was great. You know, here is, and, and she obviously grew up. Well, maybe not obviously because, you know, I can see her in, in my mind, but our listeners can't see, can't see her, but it, it was obvious that she grew up in that era when Latin was still required. Mm-hmm. And, and so that was just, that was the foundation of her understanding of language of her own mother tongue of English. And, and, and she still, you know, probably at the age of, you know, upper eighties, early nineties was still convinced that Latin was the thing that really gave her the most insight about English. It was, it was great. It was incredible. That's marvelous. Yes. <laughs> yeah, definitely. Oh, that's a great story. <laughs> yeah, it just, it always sticks with me whenever I come across folks who say, oh, well, why, no one speaks Latin anymore. You know, you know <laughs> that's, that's, that's not going to help me in, you know, commerce and uh, industry and all of these sorts of things. And, and that seasoned saint, she always comes to mind, you know, grabbing my arm and, 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 and telling me that has, has always stuck with me. I think along with reinforcing English or just, you know, being the best teacher of English grammar. (laughs) Right, Uh, right. Yeah. Learning another language also really helps with problem solving skills. And this will then complement other studies like of math, things like that. And there aren't as many people in the world who question the need for math as there are right question the need for Latin. So (laughs) Right, (laughs) right, right. (laughs) Yeah. And I mean you know, everybody has problems both in math and in real life. So who wouldn't want to be a good problem solver? And right. languages really helps strengthen that problem solving function of the brain. I, I like to call it the figure it out muscle. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I like that. Yeah. So I, I would say that that's the, uh, those are the two big benefits, practical benefits we can see from studying languages. Right. And you think about things like engineering and all of these things that traditionally, when we think of them, we think of math, mm-hmm. that they are very much the kind of the entire premise of them is is solving problems and figuring things out and trying to consider how can we do such and such better or more efficiently or, you know, more safely or whatever the the case may be. And even in, in business, I mean, you think about business being very much a series of risk management situations, right? (laughs) You know, I mean, if, if you think about how, CEOs are constantly thinking about, I mean, life is full of risk. And so it's a matter of, of managing that risk. And so having a robust foundation of being able to look at things and figure out how to not only solve problems, but also look at those problems in a variety of different ways is just a a phenomenal thing that Sometimes I think we're so pragmatic that we have to see the 
that A equals B, right? You know, that this has to directly lead to this and there can be no other path to gathering this skill or whatever. And I hear you suggesting that there is so much side benefit to learning languages that we wouldn't, when we sit down to learn a language, we we don't see that as one of the objectives, right? You know, if we're if we're thinking of things in in a, a progressive understanding of of teaching and learning, there's always an objective for learning. What am I going to get out of this? And in a classical model of of teaching and learning, in a liberal arts, the the education of the free man, we are certainly concerned with the the direct result of teaching, but we also know and understand there are always these side benefits that you can't necessarily turn into an objective. They just happen. Exactly. Yes. Well said. So kind of along those same lines, our world seems to have an obsession with coding you know, computer coding languages, these sorts of things. It seems to be all the rage. I mean, I hear about it all the time from scholars, from parents of scholars. Can we make a case that learning Latin, for example, is more relevant than coding? <laughs> I just I just thought I'd I'd present that hornet's nest for you to kind of swim around in <laughs> for a little bit. <laughs> oh yes. What an interesting question. In an attempt to not kick the hornet's nest straight right, away. Right. Um I guess uh let me start off by saying I'm really glad that there are coders in the world and that there are people who have designed these artificial languages and things. I mean, I'm, I'm in awe of all of the different types and levels of computer languages. It's very impressive. I, I have to confess, I dabbled a little bit in this in college, and I ended up writing a whole big, long paper on the relationship between natural languages like English and artificial languages like C++, things like that. So I don't want people to think that Latin is good just because it's old and has a long tradition behind it, and that coding is evil because it's new and hip and, or something like that. But <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. Um, so there's obviously a lot that goes into writing an artificial language because they're rooted in natural languages. People don't go around and they, they aren't born, you know, and raised in families that speak C-sharp or HTML in day-to-day -day life. I mean, maybe you speak a little in this language if you're having a conversation about coding. But even the makers of artificial coding languages are natural language speakers. So there is some sort of foundation to artificial languages, like we talked about in the trivium, that right. you know, there's a grammar to these languages. and you learn the logic of them. And eventually there, there even is a rhetoric in coding languages. But I guess at a practical level, learning Latin will teach scholars not only the Latin, but something about languages and how we learn languages. 
So if you have a firm Latin foundation and you know a little bit about how languages themselves work, you're going to be a more effective coder and a better student of a coding language because you took the time to learn a natural language. And I don't think it translates quite as well the other direction if you start with coding that you necessarily learn the same things about Latin because like I've said, the, the foundation of these artificial languages is a natural language. And I guess on top of that, artificial languages don't demand quite the same discipline or eloquence that natural languages demand. Because right. coding is meant to be fast-paced and ever-changing to keep up with popular culture. Um, so maybe the, the simplest answer is... We're not only interested in, in pop culture, we want to know, and you said this at the beginning of the episode, we want to equip our scholars with that which endures by means of that which has endured that scholars may endure. Yes, absolutely. You said it doesn't necessarily translate the other way. I appreciate the, the, you know, the wit in that, but also the truth in that, that if you start with coding, as your base language, that isn't going to translate to giving you a more solid understanding of of Latin or even your own mother tongue. Right. But that looking the other way, learning Latin, learning Greek, learning English, <laughs> that these and and having a command of them, not just being able to speak, but being able to speak well is going to give you a better command of being able to understand how coding languages work. And you you brought up an interesting point there, kind of even as a as a side reference, that the coding languages are always trying to keep up. They're always changing, you know, learning uh, C++ might not, it might be great today, or it might have been great yesterday, but is it going to be great tomorrow? Exactly. And having a language foundation that equips you to maybe come up with the next newest coding language that is going to drive whatever the newest, biggest, fastest, strongest thing is. And at the same time, now thinking about language learning within the the scope of a classical liberal arts education and thinking about the fact that that the education our scholars are receiving is not an education just for themselves, just to make a buck or just to earn them fame and fortune. A liberal arts education, a classical liberal arts education is an education for one's neighbor. We learn so that we can love God and serve our neighbor. So how how do the languages, how do they fit into that scope of an education that that really functions 
to serve one's neighbor? Great question. I, I'm going to pull out the word virtue here, but when I use that word, I mean moral excellence, not necessarily like the, the, the seven virtues that the church fathers or later the sure. Roman Catholic. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Yeah. So for, for moral excellence, for virtue here, I think learning a language really helps with that. It, it forces you to have courage, to be humble, and to have patience as well. I think those three especially. And courage is very obvious if you're learning a language in a spoken environment where you have to be asking and answering questions in a language that's not your own. It's, it's an intimidating situation where you may not have fully understood the questions, so you might need to ask it like, for the speaker to repeat it. Then you have to try to come up with an answer and articulate it. It's, it's an intimidating situation, but it's in those moments where if the scholars can be brave and can answer those questions, the, the learning really happens there. And then probably the part that really serves your neighbor is having humility with that courage. There are times when you learn a language, whether written or spoken, where you're only half right, or maybe you're just flat out wrong or lost or confused. And <laughs> to, <Right. laughs> to have the humility to, to admit that, that you are lost and confused, and to then accept the corrections that are offered to you is is serving your neighbor it's letting your teacher teach it's being a good peer for your other classmates and and with in hand with that goes patience not everybody learns at the same pace we all make different mistakes along the way so you have to be patient with yourself and with the other language learners it's a process and you're going to drop the ball sometimes other people are going to drop the ball but if you're patient with one another you can kind of pick it back up and get going again. And we, as Christians, we can call this forgiveness. We can forgive one another for the mistakes that we do as we're learning. And it doesn't derail the whole endeavor. Right. Absolutely. So in one sense, learning languages really puts us in a, crash course of learning how to live with and love our neighbor. Definitely. Yes. I like the way you said that. As we record this episode in 2020, we are in the midst of Advent, the beginning of the church year, and we are headed toward Christmas Sometimes it seems at a breakneck pace, even though in our Advent celebration, we're we're trying to to slow things down and and ponder the mysteries and the the glory and the promise of the incarnation that is that we will celebrate coming uh, coming up soon. So Advent leads us to the celebration of the incarnation of the word made flesh. 
putting special emphasis on that word, word, and uh, (laughs) uh, knowing that that word is capitalized because word refers to Jesus, how does that reality that our Savior, Jesus Christ, as John 1 tells us, is the word, how does that reality put an exclamation point on the importance of language learning? Yes, great question. And I could probably ramble on for an entire whole other podcast, you know. Yes. On this, but, um, <laughs> we'll, we'll have to do it. Yes, <laughs> that would be great. <laughs> um, but for the sake of today's episode, I'll try to maybe tie in some of the other ideas we've already discussed. I guess looking at the big picture, the life, the daily life of the Christian acknowledges what an important thing God's word is. And as Christians, we want to nurture the faith we've already received through hearing the word of God. And how do we do this? Well, we go to church to hear more of God's word. And we go to church to receive the body and blood of Jesus, the word made flesh. And we remember our baptisms, where God's word is in and with the water and is working forgiveness of sins. And even when we're not in our own church buildings, we still read, mark, learn, and inwardly digest God's word in our homes. So it's pretty clear from looking at the life of a Christian that God's word, Jesus, is the foundation of everything. And believing this, that Christ, God's word, is the foundation of our faith, we can kind of circle back to our earlier points and see see this mirrored in our philosophy of education and language learning, that Christ and you know, God's word is the foundation of our faith. The arts of language, the trivium, the, the words, are the foundation for education, which means that words here in this life shape the way we understand and care for God's creation as his cleansed and redeemed children. Yeah, that is fantastic. Just thinking about the whole scope of language learning, that it's not an isolated thing that we just foist upon our scholars because it's trendy, right? right? <laughs> and because that can be in a classical model of teaching and learning in that world, that can kind of be a thing that, uh, oh, look how much Latin I know or, <laughs> or whatnot. And, and I think that, that as, as Lutherans, we've never really been cool. <laughs> <laughs> so, so, so we we can kind of you know uh, pull ourselves outside of that and look at the larger picture for for why we do these things, and God has certainly given us that importance of of words and language. The word becoming flesh came to serve us, and we certainly should use words to serve our neighbor. 
I ran across this quote and I just, I can't resist, especially given everything you said just now. It's a really long quote, so I'm going to try to pull some of it out. It's a quote from Martin Luther and the context of it is he's encouraging the councilmen of, of Germany in 1524 to study especially Hebrew and Greek, that the the study of Hebrew and Greek is important. And so I'm just going to to read this and then we can we can comment on it and and close from there. Luther said, truly, if there were no other use for the languages, we should, in fairness, be pleased and incited by the fact that they are such a fine and noble gift of God with which he is now richly endowing and gracing us Germans. Indeed, almost more richly than all other countries. There is little evidence that the devil would have permitted a revival of these languages through the universities and monasteries. On the contrary, these institutions have always furiously opposed them and still do. For the devil did not fail to smell the rat. He saw that if the languages were revived, a hole would be knocked into his kingdom, which he could not easily plug up again. However, since he could not prevent their revival, he now hopes to restrict them so much that they will of themselves decline and fall into disuse. Thus there came into his house an unwelcome guest. Therefore, he will feed him in such a way that he will not stay long. Very few of us, my dear sirs, see this wicked strategy of the devil. Therefore, my dear Germans, let us open our eyes. Let us thank God for this precious treasure and guard it well, lest it again be taken from us and the devil have his wanton way. For though the gospel has come and is daily coming through the Holy Spirit alone, we cannot deny that the languages were the means through which it came. Through them, it increased its influence, and through them, it must also be preserved. When God desired through the apostles to spread abroad the gospel in all the world, he provided tongues to achieve his purpose. Even before this time, he had spread the Greek and Latin languages by means of the Roman Empire throughout all countries so that his gospel might quickly bear fruit far and wide. He has done the same thing now. No one knew why God permitted the languages to be revived until we now begin to see that it was for the sake of the gospel, which he intended to reveal at a later date in order thereby to expose and destroy the kingdom of Antichrist. With the same end in view, he gave Greece to the Turks so that the Greeks driven out and scattered abroad might spread their language and might give an incentive to study other languages as well. Let us then foster the languages as zealously as we love the gospel, for it is not meaningless that God caused his scripture to be written in these two languages only, the Old Testament in Hebrew and the New in Greek. The languages, therefore, which God did not despise, but chose above all others for his word, we too ought to honor above all others. Let us ever bear this in mind. We shall have a hard time preserving the gospel without the languages.
The languages are the sheath in which this sword of the spirit is contained. They are the case in which we carry this jewel. They are the vessel in which we hold this wine. They are the larder in which this food is stored. Wow. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. You, you see why I couldn't resist reading that. I mean, it's just, it's just fantastic. Luther always has a way of putting things very, very poignantly. Yes, certainly. There were so many good, good images in that passage and a lot of food for thought there. That was, I'm really glad that you shared that. I think that above all, that quote really solidifies and emphasizes all of the things that you were conveying to us in our look at the the value and virtue of language learning. And that's one of the, the great things about dealing in enduring things, right? That the things that we say today are going to, and, and we didn't, you and I didn't look at this Luther quote before we got started. So it's not like we, you know, we, we didn't, uh, you know, we didn't look at this and go, okay, so how can we create an episode that uh, is in sync with what Luther said, right? Um, you know, um, but, but this is the neat thing about dealing with enduring things that when, when you are focused on things that endure and giving them to scholars so that they also might endure, that they are going to resonate with and agree with those who have been dealing with enduring things in the past. Yes, definitely. So, Mrs. James, thank you for giving us enduring things to ponder and for bringing to mind so many important things about language learning. Mrs. Holly James teaches Paideia A and 3 for Wittenberg Academy. Holly, thank you for joining us today. Thank you so much for having me. It's been delightful. Thank you for joining us today for the Wittenberg Hour. Be sure to subscribe to the Wittenberg Hour so as to not miss an episode. If you would like to learn more about Wittenberg Academy, please visit our website at wittenbergacademy.org. You can like and follow Wittenberg Academy on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Join us again next time on The Wittenberg Hour.